Welcome to Bat Therapy, the psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. All right, so today we're going to talk about my favorite villain that's been tased in the face. <laughs> oh no, I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Jonathan Crane. Jonathan Crane. Yes, so we are going to be talking about the Scarecrow. So for those of you that might not be as familiar, uh, you probably know the Scarecrow at the very least from uh, Batman Begins. Yes. Uh, so he, yeah, in Batman Begins, he is a, and I'll make sure I get the phrase right when we were talking about it before, <laughs> uh, psychopharmacologist. Nice. Is that the word? That's yeah. the phrase? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Big word. Big word. Psychopharmacologist. So yeah. I, what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, it's funny because I was reading like, he's a psychopharmacologist in this. And I was like, he was? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know exactly where that came from, but I think we both found that as we were you know, watching and reading and whatnot. A pharmacologist is someone who focuses on medications. And so, so pharmacists... Um, or someone who does pharmacology, they really focus on the intricacies of medications. Um, psychiatrists also focus a lot of times um, on, on providing medications, but when it comes to pharmacology, a lot of times you're delving in um, a bit more just specifically with the medications themselves. Okay. Um, so uh, my understanding, at least, is um, just more understanding of the chemistry and the nuances and the interactions between medications and, and how you can have them like work in different ways. This makes sense if you think about Scarecrow. Yes. And what does he use as his weapon? He uses all of these like sprays and venoms and blah, 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 blah. The psycho part, psychopharmacologist, essentially, so we're focusing on the mental health side of things. So yeah, that makes actually a ton of sense when you think about Dr. Crane and, and Scarecrow, but I think a lot of times in, in other iterations of him, it's more of he's, he's studied both psychology and biology or chemistry or things like that. I do like the combination. So when I, whenever I do these, I, I get ready to do these podcasts, I always definitely go back and hit a refresher. And specifically, Jonathan Crane from the Nolanverse, he has a background in pharmacology and psychology and so i didn't realize until speaking with dr brown that you could combine those terms and so yes yeah, so it sounds like what you're telling me though is pharmacology definitely focuses more on the chemistry and biopathway aspect while mm -hmm. psychiatry is kind of like okay we did diagnose you and here's what we can give you yeah. for it is, is that yeah. a good assumption yep yep yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. A lot of times, I mean, you do have clinical pharmacists and, and folks that 
uh, work with people more more directly. But a lot of times you're more likely to see a psychiatrist um, in, in those kinds of roles. So I, I was surprised that they were like, psychopharmacologist. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, particularly because he's, he's forensic. So by that, what I mean is we're working within like the legal injustice system. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to forensic psychology, forensic psychiatry, I guess in this case, forensic psychopharmacology, it's a lot of syllables. Um, so what we see Dr. Crane do specifically in Batman Begins, I'm not familiar with this being his storyline in the comics anywhere or the animated series or anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but he's essentially working for Carmen Falcone and well, and some other people behind the scenes right. beyond that, of course. And he's essentially trying to help them get away with crimes by uh, using mental health reasoning, which, um, <laughs> Uh, un- unfortunately, I'm sure there are unethical people out there like that, but I do want to just really put in bold letters here. This would be a very unethical practice, but, but forensics is something that you do. So you're looking at competency to stand trial. You're looking at not guilty by reason of insanity, which is old school language, but it's so much woven into the legal language that some of those kind of older terms have stuck around just yes. because it's it's how the legal stuff is written. Well, it's funny because so Jonathan Crane in this movie, one, I feel like the the pharmacology side of it, he keeps that part secret, right? Because yeah. w- whenever he gets into that, it's when he's dealing with the League of Shadows or when he's using the toxin on someone, he kind of just brings it out of nowhere with his mask and just like, ah, I got you. And, but besides, Shabam. right. Uh, but besides that, yeah, he's just in the courtroom, kind of like, and I guess he works for the city of Gotham as a psychologist. So, or is he part of their defense? He's part of the defense. Okay. Or, or uh, yeah. So, like at at a certain point, um, how am I blinking on her name? What's her name? Rachel. Katie Rachel Dawes. Thank you. Yes. I don't know how I forgot. So at a certain point, Rachel Dawes actually mentions, I'm going to get my own expert. Uh, I think it had to do with after he had like fear sprayed uh, Carmen Falcone and was saying that the guy had a psychotic break and therefore Mm -hmm. essentially needed to be reverted for mental health uh, treatment um, rather than going straight to trial. Um, and, and so, yeah, so you can absolutely have experts on either side. So you can have someone who is assessing, evaluating, maybe even, um, going on the stand. Um, you can have them going for the defense or for the prosecution. So yeah, it can be either side. A lot of times you might have your own experts, <laughs> cause you're trying to, to argue different points, but yeah, so he seems to be working for the defense, particularly when it comes to a lot of the mafia gang and whatnot activity going on. And see, it's different in this because in other iterations of the Scarecrow, he has like an immense backstory with he's a doctorate of psychology with an mm-hmm. emphasis on fear and phobias mm-hmm. and all of that. But in this movie, he seems like he's just a criminal. 
he's a smart criminal, but he definitely just abuses the living daylights out of his job. Like, I don't want to call him a hack because he is... He's not a hack. He's not a hack, right? Like, he is smart. Unfortunately. He is smart, but everything he is doing is corrupt like everything yeah everything yeah. he's, he's doing is corrupt yeah. and so it's, i mean i rarely yeah. say everything or nothing but yeah i would i would say you know on the spectrum here we're talking about really far on the side of unethical in, mo- <laughs> in most ways yeah. it's interesting though you you know you were talking about him becoming just a straight-up villain and this that and the other Something that I connected with him only this current time watching things, because I was thinking, okay, so we're focusing on mental health roles, so let me focus in on his role. And he kind of spouts off some stuff related to Carmine Falcone. So he sprays him, and then Carmine Falcone starts kind of going off about different things. Seems like he's got some, like, odder, unusual perceptions or potential hallucinations going on. And so... Uh, he go, uh, so then Dr. Crane's talking to Rachel Dawes about a psych- psychotic break and, and psychosis happening. Um, and so what's interesting is he actually refers to Jungian archetypes, which you don't hear very many people talk about these days, but there are some people who are, are Jungian therapists. Now, and so, when you're saying Jungian, are you talking about yes. Carl? Carl? Yes. Carl Jung. Carl Jung. Carl Jung? Yes. Okay, cool. And so different kinds of what we call theoretical orientations approach the how we conceptualize the brain and how people are responding to things and where mental health struggles might come from. They kind of look at it from slightly different angles. There's always overlap with different things. Um, and there's also, you know, slight variations in how you might approach the treatment or help someone heal. Okay. So here's the really interesting thing about being Jungian is these are folks that oftentimes are looking at evaluating dreams. These are people who a lot of times are trying to help people better understand their subconscious. And so they're trying, like a lot of times they might connect things to like art or literature or other things to just be trying to pull these things out of you. Mm which I think is particularly interesting if you think about the dramatic representation that he has with his villainous costume. I mean, think about how theatrical it is. Absolutely. It's very theatrical. And then I guess, yeah, that kind of plays into like, if you're trying to analyze somebody, I feel like you can tell a lot about someone by what they fear. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can, I can definitely see like if he were, because we don't see that side of him in the movie where it's like, I'm doing this experiment to study them. Like in the now com- right. comic book scarecrow, that is his Trip. thing, yes. right? He's like, yeah. I'm, I'm working at a university or I'm working at Arkham and I'm just mm-hmm. using test subjects wrongfully and hitting them with fear toxin and mm-hmm. studying them and breaking it down. But in this one, it's just like, okay, I'm going to spray him with fear gas so I can call him insane. And he doesn't use good vocabulary either. Like I, at one point he refers to them as the crazies. And I was like, Ooh, I don't. Oh, it, it, it warms my heart that you're noticing those things and getting bothered by it. Oh yeah, I do. I've learned. I've learned things. Yeah, it's awesome. And so, but while I was watching it and, and it's right before he, I don't know if it's foul. If it's Falcone or if he 
sprays someone before Falcon. He's like, would you like to see my mask? You know, these crazies, they get a kick out of it or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, huh? I'm like, wow, he really, <laughs> he, yeah. he's, Jeez, he's man. trying to upset every therapist in the building, isn't he? Like, it's just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he's. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he, so, so in, in this movie, like he's doing more like assessment evaluation versus therapy in terms of at least the role they show him in forensically. Um, but it is very, yeah, there, there's definitely some, um, nuances he could maybe learn and update for himself. Um, but yeah, it is interesting what you're talking about though, in terms of like, like in the comics, you see more of where it's a slightly different infatuation with fear and you see where the development of like his weapons come from, Mm -hmm. I think a bit better and maybe why he's just so innately focused on, on fear and phobias and that sort of thing. And yet in this movie, they give this interesting twist that in my opinion in a lot of ways might actually better explain the dramaticism of of how he how he creates his costume and how he represents himself. I mean, like, okay, yeah, he's trying to pull for fear, but a scarecrow, like, it's kind of kitschy and funny in a lot of ways. Like, I, I feel like it's better explained by this, like, Jungian component to how he like has his theoretical orientation which is pretty funny yeah and it is this scarecrow is funny too because every time he puts the mask on he's also wearing like a really nice suit and so it (laughs) he he looks like he's about to like pull off a heist because he's wearing like a super nice suit and this and he puts on this ridiculous mask and then sprays you and i was sitting there thinking about it because everyone sees their worst fear whenever he sprays them Mm. with it and my first thought was why does he need the mask like does he need the mask or can he just spray you like i feel like he, he he can just just spray you another thing that i thought about too is like we talked about his job is very forensic he's constantly like checking people to see if they're fit to stand trial or if Mm -hmm. they're what would be the proper phrasing if you said that someone was in in, in not using the word insane but Mm -hmm. if you're saying hey this person shouldn't be treated as a criminal because they clearly have a severe mental health disorder so not guilty by reason of insanity is probably kind of what you're talking about there, which once again has an also great word. Right. Insane's not really the updated version. So I actually checked in with a colleague slash friend of mine who I work with kind of national stuff and he does some forensic stuff. And so I was checking with him and I was like, you know, all this seems like kind of outdated language. Am I getting this right? Uh, but he was pretty much saying that, yeah, it, it's just so much woven into all the legalese and, and, just like impossible to fully separate that out but you know so I mean like when you're when you're a healthcare provider though you're always kind of in this balancing act and then you add the legal it adds another balancing act where how do you make sure that you're utilizing your skill set but in a way that people can relate to it and understand it unfortunately with the legal part yeah you got to use the insanity word that I don't love. Um, So that's essentially 
okay, there's there's mental health related stuff going on. And there's actually a lot of different things that might happen in relationship to that. I mean, some people might still end up, you know, going to jail or prison, but maybe they're doing treatment within it or maybe you're doing treatment instead. But another piece that comes up in this movie that's actually different is competency to stand trial. So not guilty by reason of insanity has to do with the crime itself. Okay. Competency to stand trial is separate from the crime. It's, okay, we have this person, and they need to be able to understand and participate in the legal process. Okay. And so you might have someone who is unable to participate in a trial, and one of the reasons might be their mental health. And so what would happen is then they might they would go to a, an inpatient facility where it's not like back in the day. Um, I think a lot of people think, oh, they go there and then they never leave. You actually are are going to these facilities to specifically help someone improve their capacity, their competency with the trial. So helping, training them, treatment, et cetera, with the express goal of helping them to be able to go through the trial. I got you. So that's interesting. So you have someone being unable to, what's the term, unfit to stand trial or unfit to participate in the trial? Yeah, so so we're looking at level of competency okay. is is the the term they often use. All right, so level of competency, and then the other one is the the one we talked about dealing with in insanity. Yeah, so then we're looking at like guilty versus not guilty kind of stuff. So I wonder, and maybe you can tell me this: Has there ever been an issue with being subjective versus objective when it comes to these things? Because if someone says, "Oh," mm. They're mentally unable to stand trial. That could be, that definition could be completely different depending on who you ask, right? Uh-huh. Welcome to why when you were like, who does Dr. Crane work for? Welcome to why a lot of times, okay, who's the defense bringing up? Who is the prosecution bringing up? So objective versus subjective. Um, if there's anyone listening who's just, you know, needing that clarified a little bit more. So Essentially, what Keaton's asking is an excellent question. Like, how do you make this measurable in a way that is essentially reliable and you're not kind of having it where you're not fair to everyone? And unfortunately, no system's perfect. Right. Uh, but there are tests and measures and interview processes that a person can do with someone reviewing records and, and healthcare notes and other things as well to assess um, a person's abilities. You can be looking at their cognitive abilities and how much they're able to look at their cognitive abilities and how much they might be able to like take in information or communicate. Um, But you also might just be looking at different levels of symptoms and whatnot. So there are what we call objective measures that you can use. And a lot of times they have what we call validity scales on them. And I'm not going to go into any specifics because the whole purpose of them <laughs> is, is to help try and make sure that we're getting as good of information as we can. And if the information might be false for one reason or another, like a person's trying to look really good, uh, let's say it's a child custody hearing, so you want to look really good, you might be you might be fudging things so you look better. It's only human to do that. or 
you might be trying to look worse. Maybe they're, you're, you're hoping to kind of get a lighter sentence. So maybe you're making certain things look worse for yourself. Once again, it's human nature. So we expect some of those fluctuations, but we also want to be able to hopefully catch things that are like, okay, these scores might be elevated or they might they might be higher or they might be lower or there might be something about these that aren't quite reliable. Gotcha. Um, so we've, we do have different things that you can use. None of them were mentioned in Batman Begins. No. Uh, which isn't surprising no. uh, that they wouldn't have mentioned those. And and he probably wasn't going to be using any of, of them well, himself. What was funny was the, the very first time I remember being in the movie theater watching Batman Begins and he was up there kind of like t- and it, but the person that was on trial was Victor Zass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so immediately when they said his name, I'm like, oh, yeah, he definitely isn't fit to stay at trial. Like, because in the comic was Victor Zaz is just a serial killer and he cuts himself for every per- person he kills. He is fit to stand trial. Like. He is fit to stand trial. In Oh, in the comics or in the in the movie? Um. So, so I want to, I want to hear your, your, what you were saying and then come back around to that because, because yeah, the, the, it, it can be hard to kind of catch the, those fine details of this. Yeah. Because like in the, in the comics and like in the Arkham games, he's like, he, he's saying all kinds of weird things and hearing voices at times. And he, every, but every victim that he kills, he puts like, he, he cuts a mark on mm-hmm. himself so he's completely covered and so when they first dropped his name i'm like oh oh are they about mm-hmm. to inch are they about to introduce arkham now because he's definitely a well-known arkham mm-hmm. inmate mm-hmm. but then in this i think they mentioned how he's just a hitman and killer for the mob they don't really go into yeah. any kind of mental health issues that he might have so, so here's the, here, here's the thing is that, well, first off our prison and, and, and jail systems, prison and jail are essentially this day and ages inpatient treatment. It's a very, very sad reality. The, the numbers of, of people who have very significant mental health issues and those things Honestly, there's just not the treatment and support needed in, in prisons and, and, in, and in jails to, to truly help these people. There's wonderful people doing that work, and I really, really respect those. I know a number of people who do it. There's just not enough of them. So there, there's unfortunately just a lot about our system that's shifted a lot of these folks. It, it, the, just the institutions they're in. We wanted to fix the institutions, but essentially we kind of shifted where they went. So, so this isn't to say... The system's not perfect. So when it comes to Zaz, let's say competency to stand trial. Let's say that um, he was in an episode of some sort where he's talking to himself. He doesn't seem to know where he is. He's he's all over the place. Um, if you tried to see him in a courtroom, he wouldn't know what was going on. He would be disruptive. And it seems directly related to mental health stuff. That would be a competency to stand trial thing versus, okay, he's able to go through the process of court and everything. There seems to be some sort of mental health component that's a part of what happened in terms of the crime someone committed. The thing with Zaz, though, is you can also have a mental health condition 
and be someone who's choosing to break the law okay outside yeah. of the fact that you have a mental health condition and the fact that he's like the, the he's like a serial killer for hire kind of person like that's that's more than just a mental health condition going on versus someone who first off a gentle reminder to everyone that there is a misconception that if you have a mental health diagnosis, you're more likely to commit violence. You're actually more likely to be a victim of violence. But I'm just giving an example here of when mental health might be related to the crime that happened. But there are plenty of people doing crimes that don't have a mental health condition. But one where you might be looking at treatment versus jail or prison, let's say someone, someone thought that they were being attacked due to they were having some sort of flashback with PTSD and they literally thought they were somewhere else and they ended up assaulting somebody. So in that case, you're going to want to incorporate, okay, what was going on with the mental health condition versus with Zaz? Okay, there's a lot of stuff going on, but mental health isn't the reason most of the time that he's yeah he's just going out and killing yeah people. he just likes killing that's true he seems to enjoy killing right and that's not so great for society yeah, yeah. and it, it honestly it makes me think a lot about because i mean all comic books are somewhat like based on reality and so whenever mm-hmm. i think about all the different batman villains the first thing that comes to mind that i compare them to are prolific serial killers or Mm. crime bosses you know i always whenever i think of the penguin i always compare him immediately to al capone and Mm. whenever i think of someone like zaz you know i think of somebody like ted bundy or the greenway killer like a a prolific Mm. known serial killer and so it it is interesting because those cases are looked at very very hard like the the son of sam killer and he said he heard a demon telling him to commit the crimes Mm -hmm. and but and to this day people are like was he lying about that did he did he know that that's what he could say so that they wouldn't give him the death penalty and it, and it can be very very hard to know i mean we've got we've got instruments we have things to help us hypothesize but yeah at the end of the day some of this stuff is really tricky to tease apart yeah and it was cool that they did shed light on that and how corrupt the system can be in Batman Begins. Like, oh no no no, he yeah he's a he's a killer, but it's because he has mental health issues. And I'm gonna hit him with fear toxin. And look, now you can't say he doesn't have mental mental health <laughs> issues. Like the the way that he did it but, was pretty pretty. Yeah yeah. But there's still an excellent argument against that because if he had a psychotic break. After he was arrested. That has more to do with competency to stand trial rather than is he not guilty due to reason of insanity because you'd have to have people. Now, you're more likely to get people to believe you if you get someone to lie and say, oh, well, we kind of saw some of this peeking out earlier on, even though it wasn't true. I mean, like, you know, you could maybe build a case for it, but but essentially, like, when did those symptoms start and how do they truly relate? It's different how does something relate to a crime versus how does it relate to your ability to maneuver through the legal system? Yeah, because I feel like that... that one of the things they left off in Batman Begins, like if if they went to someone the next day and they had just had this 
insane mental insane gosh horrible word to use this really really bad mental health break oh i'm so proud of you it's bad it's bad that was bad but yeah if they had this hey it's a very common word Uh, insane crazy those are two very common words that are get dropped a lot nowadays it takes a lot to to change that yes but if yeah say he had uh this really bad mental health break Mm -hmm. wouldn't the first thing they do check would be to like do like a blood test or something to see if something was in his system. Mm. So when it comes to, you're actually hitting on something that that's really helpful. So when someone first has symptoms that seem like mental health, we're still figuring out mental health. I mean, it's complicated. It's a lot of times, a lot of times it's the things that we haven't figured out fully in in the brain and the body yet. The tricky thing about mental health versus a number of medical diagnoses is you tend to diagnose it based on the symptoms rather than what's the underlying condition happening in the body because we don't yet have a way to like scan your brain or do a blood check or do such and such to say, ah, yes, we are seeing X, Y, and Z, which equals, I don't know, um, social anxiety disorder. I'm just pulling one out of my hat. But even though we don't have that, you're hitting on a really good point, which in general, it's good to rule out other things. You can have anxiety-like experiences from, say, COPD or other things that affect your breathing and your pulmonary system and all of that. You can have depression-like symptoms from hypothyroidism. That's a very common thing that you want to make sure that you're checking, especially if someone has history in their family, especially if someone's getting quite a bit of weight gain at the same time. But you can have absolutely uh, substances, a number of substances. You can have delirium um, that happens in like hospital settings a number of times. You can have a number of people talk about, you know, getting paranoid when on marijuana or there are a lot of different reactions to substances that can look like mental health conditions. UTIs can, I mean, there's just so many things. So in general, if you're seeing those changes and it's the onset of those symptoms, in general, it's really good practice to do a good medical workup. Right, let's think about what have I, have, have I been, did I change my diet? Am I taking mm-hmm. any yeah. new medications? Mm-hmm. Am I getting enough sun? Like yeah. all kinds of things, right? Yeah. What's my sleep like? Uh, if you have diabetes, oh man, that can wreck you if your blood sugar's up and down and all over the place. Like, yeah, there's so many things that that can impact your mental health and, and how you're feeling. And yeah, it, it's just general good practice. And anyone listening, if you are experiencing things, it's always, always good to make sure that you're getting your physicals, you're getting stuff checked out, um, even if it seems completely unrelated and, and primarily a mental health uh, type situation. So yeah, hopefully they were do they were gonna ship him off to do some labs and whatnot, especially because it happened all of a sudden after Dr. Crane was there, and then yeah. especially once Dr. Crane became Scarecrow not too long later, I'm I'm pretty sure they did plenty of labs on Falco. Now wait a minute, <laughs> something's fishy here. Right. Now wait, a, what's going on here? But do you have a mindful nerd moment for us? I do. So find my little I actually have a little script I'm working off of today 
So I'm going to do one of these where I make you work a little bit. <laughs> I know today's not flying through the sky with Superman, but. You know, I was so, honestly thinking, like, what's the mindful nerd moment going to be that relates to Scarecrow? Like, I'm really like I, I came into this 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 episode <laughs> thinking, like, what what's she going to do here? <laughs> what's she going to do to me? Yeah, um, it's Scarecrow, y'all like. I got to do something on fear. So I I wanted us to do a little bit of mindful meditation that actually has us focusing on fear. Yay. <laughs> I know. I'm sure everyone's so excited. So when it comes to mindfulness, a big misconception is, ah, relaxation. I should be feeling relaxed at peace. And that is, the ultimate goal with mindfulness is just altogether being in a more peaceful, relaxed mindset about life. But in order to do that, you need to be willing to accept the fact that life is ups and downs and things that we love and things that we hate and just all of things uh, blended all together. So essentially not fighting against the reality of life, allowing it to be what it is, even though sometimes it's not so great. So, yeah, I want us to do a mindfulness on fear. Scarecrow, Dr. Crane, like, could have been helpful. There's a lot of really wonderful things you can do to manage fear. So we're going to do one of those today. So let's say you have someone who is afraid of heights. Then the fear they could focus on for this is, you know, something related to heights. Or bats, you know, because that's where things started with Bruce, right? So, yeah, fear of bats can be a fear of whatever. So, yeah, let's do some recalling of fear to allow ourselves to experience it. So instead of fighting against it, pushing it away, we're going to say, okay, let's let a little, little fear enter our lives. Just to be simple about it, because we, we've talked about Batman Begins, I'm going to use little Bruce, so little Bruce, you know, he fell into the cave and all those scary bats. So I'll use that as the example I walk through with on this. And obviously feel free to pretend you're young Bruce Wayne, if that's what you so choose for your fear. But you can also pick your own. Okay. So I'd like for you to close your eyes, as, as we always do. Or, of course, uh, have them unfocused if you're not comfortable closing them. Sitting straight, but, you know, relaxed. And first, just focus on your breathing. Notice your breath moving in and out. Don't worry about how you're breathing. Just allow yourself to, to focus in on it to help you center yourself for this mindfulness moment. And I'm asking young Bruce Wayne to recall, to recall your fear. Hold the thing that you fear in your mind. See the image of the cave and the bats as if it was happening right now. Instead of running or closing your mind off to the cave, imagine the scene continuing. Imagine the bats flying. Imagine yourself in the cold, dark cave. And let this image progress all the way to its natural resolution. So allow yourself to visualize all of the moments of the bats in the cave, all the way to the point where your father, Thomas Wayne, 
lowers himself into the cave, grabs you, and lifts you back out into the sunlight. Allow yourself, as you're visualizing this, to notice that there are some negative emotions, and that's okay. It's vital to allow yourself to experience the whole scene until you get to the natural end where your father lifts you out. And now I want you to visualize what happens after the thing you fear. Visualize what happens once your dad lifts you out and takes you back to the house. Notice the warmth that you feel from him, the comfort you experience, the relief. What we want to notice most is that we're showing our minds that the thing we fear is temporary. And once it's over, good things will happen. Now that we've worked through this visual of the fear, congratulate yourself by taking a few moments to once again just notice your breath. Breathing in and breathing out, relax. Breathing in, breathing out, relax. When you're ready, shift your mind away from the Wayne Manor and back to where you're seated. Allow yourself to kind of shift in your seat a little bit, just getting used to where you are. And once you're ready, open your eyes and we'll finish the podcast. What'd you think? That was cool. That was cool. I could definitely see myself doing that, but using one of my actual fears. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I'm trying to, I guess the, is the goal to overcome the fear or just still like part of mindfulness? Because this seems like one mm. that you could actually do in a fearful moment. Oh yeah, you you could absolutely mind. So the nice thing about a visualization like this is it can essentially help you practice. Where if you're in the moment and you're super heightened because you're in that fear situation, you may not be at a point where you can use the mindfulness, the relaxing, the breathing to try and help you move through that moment. You may be at that point, which is great. But especially if you tend to avoid the feared situation or it's causing you a lot of problems, it can be helpful to visualize it beforehand because it's essentially practice. Because you're absolutely right. You can use the same mentality in the moment when it's happening. Nice. Nice. I suppose that Dr. Jonathan Crane could have used that after being tased in the face. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Amelia Brown. Find me on social media at Crafting the Mind. And I'm comic enthusiast and professional nerd, Keaton Hopkins. Check out my TV and movie reviews on YouTube at TeamJBS. Check out our website at bat-therapy.com, our Bat Therapy YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. See you next week. Same Bat time, same Bat channel.